months into accompanying her. It was March 2001, and Michelle was 18 years old. From her vantage point, the Indiana Army National Guard looked like the answer to a dilemma, which was that she found her circumstances dreary. Michelle had thrust through a childhood full of neglect, making her both headstrong and vulnerable, and it was no accident that she had dreamed up the idea to enlist, but required Noah Jarvis's steadying company to execute it. That was Michelle, audacious, needy, a little bit self-absorbed. Michelle was quite certain she knew what the guard would ask of them in return, one weekend a month, two weeks every summer. Maybe they would also be asked to ham a swollen river with sandbags or gather up the pieces of a town shattered by a tornado. She thought that was a price she might be willing to pay in exchange for the prospect of leaving home. Michelle did not look like a soldier. On the short side, buxom, a face framed by masses of long, curly blonde hair with big brown eyes and a button nose, she brimmed with cherubic innocence, which made her mischievousness a constant surprise. She looked angelic, but through her sluiced a prodigious appetite for naughty things, such as boys and pot and punk rock music. Life rendered itself to her in contradictory ways, brackish and clear, bitter and honeyed. She had formed the habit of looking for what was funny in sad moments, and she had a laugh like a bell, loud and clear and ringing. Michelle had spent her entire childhood in southern Indiana, mostly in and around Evansville, an industrial city tucked into a bend in the Ohio River. The rest of the Midwest had forgotten about Evansville so long ago it might as well have been southern, and the pace of life was slow. Vast barges heaped with black coal sank low onto the river, crawling past casino boats where people went to hazard their earnings. Michelle's father lived on the opposite shore, buried deep in the woods of Kentucky, in an air-conditioned trailer where he hoarded mementos and told unlikely stories. Everybody Michelle knew seemed bled of hope. She had grown up watching businesses shudder and jobs disappear, and her mother slip into poverty and her siblings enthrall themselves with drugs. Ten months earlier, in the spring of 2000, when she had graduated from Evansville's Central High School, the theme of her commencement had been, Oh, the places you'll go. So far, however, she had gone nowhere, and the year since she had finished high school had been dispiriting. Thanks to her extraordinary intelligence, Michelle had excelled at school. In the mandatory journal that she kept for her psychology class, she had written that she had set her sights on going to Indiana University, one of the most prestigious colleges in the state. It had a beautiful tree-lined campus up in Bloomington, and demanding professors who had gotten their degrees from the Ivy League. For a while it had looked as though she might achieve that dream, for she had earned the right marks, and when she had taken the ACT, she had scored 34 out of 36, which put her in the 98th percentile. Nobody else in her family had ever been to college, however, and Michelle did not know how to find the path that led to a fancy campus. Her mother lost factory jobs as often as she found them, and her father alternately drove a truck or got himself locked up in jail, and neither of her parents had set aside any money for college. In the fall of 2000, Michelle had enrolled instead at the University of Southern Indiana, a commuter college that squatted beside another part of the Lloyd Expressway, to the west of the armory. 
She had borrowed the maximum possible amount in student loans, as she was paying her entire tuition bill by herself. As she began her college career, Michelle was sharing a one-bedroom apartment with her mother, working as a waitress at a steakhouse called the Golden Corral, and driving back and forth to classes in the tank. That's what she named her 1994 Silver Ford Tempo. It had been a gift from her father. A burly wreck of a man, he loved Michelle dearly, but he had never stuck with any of his four wives, nor had he safeguarded the economic well-being of his children. He had bought the car used for $2,000 and had given it to Michelle in lieu of paying the $40,000 in child support that he owed to her mother. Michelle's mother eked out a thin existence with occasional welfare checks, irregular jobs, regular packs of Marlboro Lights 100, and a steady supply of double cola. After he bought the car for Michelle, her father had made...